710 ESPN presents The Experience, Experience with Laverne Cusack, where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Laverne Cusack. Laverne Cusack. Students return to in-person school and digital learning becomes more common. Parents and educators should keep in mind the importance of eye health. This year is different because there is a greater reliance for so many students on remote learning due to COVID-19. And that means more time in front of digital devices such as laptops. Plus, getting your children's eyes checked is equally important during back-to-school season as getting their immunizations and flu shots to help make sure they are ready to learn. Today, we will also discuss the importance of comprehensive eye exams and why school screenings are not a substitute, in part because full examinations may uncover other health conditions not usually associated with eyes. Dr. Scott Edmonds, Chief Eye Care Officer for United Healthcare, is joining me today to discuss back-to-school eye health tips and share advice to help kids and everyone reduce blue light exposure amid remote learning and working during COVID-19. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is 710 ESPN. Your sports station is 710 ESPN. The experience is now. Here is Laferne Cusack. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is 710 AM ESPN. I'm speaking with Dr. Scott Edmonds, Chief Eye Care Officer for United Healthcare. Welcome to the show, Dr. Edmonds. Hello, nice to be here. Now, my son is seven years old and he is on the computer all day long and I was thinking, what is happening with his eye care? So I'm so happy to have you on the show to talk about digital eye strain and what we should look for and how we can protect our children. Great. So uh, tell us, what is digital eye strain and what should we look for? So digital eye strain uh, is a problem that's uh, been around for a while. We used to call it computer vision syndrome. It used to only be for people that were in the computer industry, uh, coders, and people that were on their machines a lot. But with social media and with kids texting and with cell phones and all the digital appliances, it's sort of become an epidemic. And with COVID, uh, which is going to force our kids not only to socialize and be entertained, but also do their schoolwork uh, on some type of device, you know, we're more concerned. And that's why we're raising the flag about what to look for for parents relative to digital eye strain. Yeah, because as I was sitting there watching him on his little tablet, you know, there's a lot of things that are changing in the world. I'm thinking, well, how are our kids going to adapt to this new way of learning and what is going to actually happen to his eyes? Is is it straining? Is it going to need glasses? You know, I can go down that rabbit hole sometimes as a mom. Sure, sure. So, so, well... Go ahead. Yeah, let me give you a little background here. So the real issue with digital devices is blue light. So all of these uh, devices uh, are blue-based technology, so they uh, 
basically emit a lot of blue light. Uh, so blue light is a natural uh, phenomenon. Well, obviously, we're out in the blue, the blue sky every day. We're exposed to blue light. Um, and so it's never been a thought until we started to see people become symptomatic. So what we now know with some new research is that ultraviolet light, which is a step up the scale from, from visible blue light, and ultraviolet light, we've known for a long time that that caused, causes human tissue damage. We know it burns our skin, so we wear sunblock to block ourselves from UV rays. We wear sunglasses to protect our eyes, but no one's really considered that part of the blue spectrum or part of the visible spectrum, i.e. blue light, which is the high energy part of the visible light, could also uh, cause a problem. And so recent research shows that blue light in excess can also uh, cause some problems. So that's sort of the the background here um, where digital eye strain, we believe a lot of it is related to excessive blue light for our kids. So is that naturally on computers or is there, what can we do? Yes. So it's, so it's naturally, uh, you know, it's one of the bright lights that are emitted from computers. A lot of them are, are blue light based. Um, and so blue light is harder for the human eye to focus on. So they struggle to get it into sharp focus. Uh, and the, you know, the other problem other than just the blue light is that kids lock their eyes into, uh, into that close focus of the device. They tend not to blink because they're concentrating on the game or on the activity. Um, and so the, these lead to kind of eye strain that anyone would have if they locked in at a near target. So the muscles in the eye that converge the eye or turn the eyes in have to be pulled continually. Um, The focusing muscle inside the eye has to be focused uh, continually. Um, And so that leads to red eyes, dry, scratchy eyes, or headaches, or other things that we all categorize as digital eye strain symptoms. Okay, so what about, what makes children especially at risk for, for this? So a couple of things relative to children. First of all, they, they tend to choke up on their devices and they rather than like adults that hold them at arm's length, kids hold it at two inches from their eyes and right. just lock in on that phone or that screen. So they're holding the device way too close. So that's one problem. A, a child's eyes are still in development really till about age 20. And so the normal growth and development of the eye, if it's exposed to things in the distance, it naturally sets its focus for the distance. So that's how the, the human visual system should have a lot of exposure to distance objects and it sets itself to that distance focus. If kids are looking at their screens or looking at near all the time, the, the developmental part of the body thinks that that's the normal focal distance for life and it will set the eyes at that close distance and that's the problem that we call nearsightedness. So not all kids are uh, at risk for nearsightedness, but if your parents are nearsighted, because there's a genetic component, so one or both parents are nearsighted, the child's at high risk anyway, and now you add this excessive screen time and it almost guarantees the child's gonna be very nearsighted, which gives them, in addition to having to wear glasses, there's long-term risks uh, for the human eye if it's very nearsighted as they grow older. Oh my goodness, so what can we do to reduce this risk? So there's a number of things we can do. Some of the things that are just like common sense are what we call first aid, uh, which would be parents should have the kids always keep that device at least 30 inches away from their eyes. So you see your child choking up on the device, push it away, get them used to working at that 30-inch distance. Um, they should you know, tell them to blink more frequently, even if you have to concentrate on blinking to keep the eye moist. Uh, and they should take a break from that uh, digital device every 20 minutes. And we have a real easy way to remember that and also to make it most useful. And we call that the 20-20-20 rule. Uh, And that rule says every 20 minutes, you should look at something 20 feet away, like out a window, for 20 seconds. So every, every 20 minutes, look away to 20 feet. 
uh, for 20 seconds. So that takes you away from that intense blue light exposure. It lets those muscles in the eye relax, uh, and it kind of it takes away some of that uh, tendency to, to lock the focus in at near. So those are kind of the typical first aid things that we sort of recommend that everybody do, but especially kids who tend to, uh, to violate that. Having our kids not have so much screen time, so get them outside. When they're off the screen, we don't want them to sit and watch TV or to read a book. We want them to go outside and be exposed to far distance light. So in, in, encouraging kids to get outside and get away from all digital devices, you know, is healthy. They should do a little bit of outside time every day. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the, our first aid uh, um, things we can do to kind of help the, resolve the symptoms and, and kind of prevent the nearsightedness. Dr. Edmonds, when a child's eyes get strained, is there a way that, I mean, can it be undone? Like, or is it like, okay, they're on the computer, they're on their devices, their eyes get strained, and then they go to glasses? Or can it be reversed? Well, once they lock into nearsightedness, uh, that cannot be reversed. So that's why once they you know, once they get into their teens, so you, your child is seven. So usually that doesn't start to develop till a little bit later. Uh, but if your child you know starts to become nearsighted, then it tends to be a vicious cycle. Each year they get more nearsighted, and by the time they're in their twenties, you know they're significantly nearsighted. Um, so that we can't reverse. But the, the headaches, the discomfort, the red eyes, those things we can re- can reverse. So. Kids that don't respond to the first aid tips that I mentioned, we need to go to the next step, which is have them see an eye doctor and have the eye doctor examine their focus. Perhaps their eyes are a little bit out of focus, which has given them more symptoms. Uh, But we can then also prescribe special glasses that have blue light filters. So we can either block part of the blue light with anti-reflective coatings, or we can block all the blue light with literally blue blocking plastics that absorb all of the blue light. So we can block the blue light uh, through glasses. And then for those kids who glasses aren't uh, an option, we can get technology devices, software, and, and certain hardware that automatically blocks the blue light. So a lot of computer users use the Windows application, and if you look in the Windows application in the settings, there's something called the night mode or night light, which allows you to cut back the blue light. And some people like to run their computer with that blue light protection all the time. Other people just like to do it after dinner, so they reduce the amount of blue light that comes in after dinner. Blue light in the evening tells the body that it's daytime and then kids or any of us will have trouble sleeping if you're exposed to excessive blue light right up to bedtime. So screen times, uh, digital time should be shut off for kids right after dinner uh, unless they have homework to do. But then, you know, maybe, you know, seven o'clock, give them at least an hour or two before bedtime where they're not doing any digital work, digital work mm. and being expo- exposed to blue light. Ah, that's, that's a good tip there. Uh, so, have you seen school age uh, children's vision problems more and more, or do you know what this percentage of children who are affected by vision problems are now versus? So, so currently, the the children are affected. It's about one in four. So, twenty five percent of kids come in with some type of a visual problem. We'll see them at that school age years. We're we're concerned now with COVID and all the screen time that that number is going to increase. Uh, it's important to know that eighty percent of what children learn comes through the visual channel. So, although they get there's auditory learning and other tactile learning, eighty percent of learning occurs visually. So, we have to make sure kids have you know optimal vision correction and and their eyes are working uh, appropriately. Uh, 
Um, we know kids now are spending 13 hours a day on the devices. We expect that's going to go higher with back to school being uh, digital this year. Um, so we do see more kids with these symptoms. We do recommend these blue blockers as uh, glasses, as we talked about, also setting their focus appropriately. So glasses with some near prescription to take the strain off of near, and then really leaning heavily on the 2020-20 rule for the parents to get the children to follow that rule and also spend some spend some time out outdoors because we the kids that we see that have nearsighted tendencies before their teens uh, we really want to make sure that uh, they get more time outdoors so we don't want them to be very nearsighted by the time they're 20. So my son was blinking a lot like he would like like blink hard and I'm like what's wrong with your eyes David (laughs) like why are you (laughs) why are you doing that? So parents also should look for warning signs. So that, and that you, you gave a very good one there. Kids that are doing excessive blinking, that usually means they're having trouble seeing. So blinking or squinting would be parents that see that. They should take their children to the eye doctor. Uh, sitting very close to the TV is another warning sign. Or, or kids that can't hit a ball. They don't have good depth perception, so they always just miss a ball that should be easily hit at their age. Uh, or kids that play 3D video games and find them uncomfortable, they make them dizzy or give them a headache. If they have trouble playing 3D games, that's an indication the two eyes are not teaming together. So any of those warning signs, uh, parents should get their children in for a formal examination so we can uh, act accordingly and get them more comfortable. Yeah, those 3D games, uh, they're kind of difficult for me myself. Like, I'm like, I don't see in 3D. What is this? I don't know where I am in this game. <laughs> I try with my son, but it's... it's uh, Maybe it's a grown folks thing. <laughs> Could be. Could yeah. be. <laughs> so why do you think it is challenging or is it challenging to identify visual problems in children? Well, kids, uh, unlike adults, don't know what normal is. So if the distance things are blurry, um, the kids don't really know that they're not supposed to be blurry. One of our uh, uh, rewarding things about being an optometrist is that we take kids that we put on their first pair of glasses and they say, wow, I I didn't realize that the tree had leaves and I can see the individual leaves. Just thought it was a big green thing. And now I can see that the tree is made up of leaves. So Mm -hmm. kids don't know what they don't know. Uh, adults, we know that if your vision is clear one day and it goes blurry, you know there's something wrong and you would go to the eye doctor. But for kids, they, they're not aware many times uh, that they're not seeing correctly. So parents need to look for those warning signs and, and get them for professional attention when you see any of those warning signs occurring. So let's talk about the, uh, the eye exam ex- itself. So uh, I guess every year, uh, children, before they get into school, they have to you know go to the dentist, get their checkups, get eye exams. Well, go ahead. We actually like to start a little earlier with kids. And so the the child should have their first comprehensive eye exam somewhere between six and 12 months of life. So in that first year, usually we wait till they're six months old. So their eyes are more developed between six and and, uh, months and one year, because there we're looking for congenital problems like a a cataract or uh, crossed eyes or other problems that we would identify in that first year of life and want to have those fixed. Um, Given that they pass that, the next exam should be at about three years because the eyes are more developed. We can do more depth perception and other tests with a three-year-old. And then certainly before they start school, at about age five or six, so we make sure their focus uh, is clear for school or if there's any tracking problems. And then as you said, for kids that wear glasses or contact lenses every year, uh, kids who don't have any refractive error, we want to see them every two to three years to just make sure that uh, there's not something cropping up. So you mentioned contact lenses. What age would you suggest you know, kids get contact lenses or do you? 
We do, actually. Um, so, so part of my earlier in my career, I fought, I fit a lot of children that were born with cataracts with contact lenses in that first year of life because the cataract has to be removed, can't use those implants that we use for adults, so we have to use a contact lens. So, so we fit many babies at our uh, clinic for, uh, for contact lenses to help them, their eyes to grow and develop naturally. If the eye doesn't have focused light, it doesn't develop naturally. So that's an eye call, a problem called lazy eye is when one eye, it's usually just one eye, doesn't get focused light, and so it doesn't develop, and the other eye develops, and then that one eye always lags behind. And kids with a barrier like a cataract, they've got to remove the cataract and get focused light in both eyes, and that's where we use contacts. For, for other kids, when they start to become nearsighted, contact lenses are better, and there are certain new contact lenses, and there's a very new lens specifically to reduce the, the developmental of, uh, development of nearsightedness. So we fit younger children that show up as nearsighted when they're seven or eight with these special contact lenses that will reduce the, the, the growth of the eye so they don't become more nearsighted as they get older. So we can fit contacts at any age, but we want to have a good medical reason. Um, we don't fit them for cosmetic reasons in young children. It would be to prevent nearsightedness or to curtail rapid growth of nearsightedness or for, uh, to make the eyes balance up better. But virtually any age, uh, we can do contact lenses when indicated. Now, what would be a cause to have a child with cataract? Well, there is a congenital problem where it's a dominant trait. So parents have cataracts uh, at, at birth, and the, and they pass that trait on to their children. That's a, there is uh, we see a lot of families where everybody in the family has cataracts, but also there's some developmental anomalies that occur. So as the child's uh, in development. An error happens and one eye ends up with the lens being cloudy or sometimes both eyes. Uh, so they can be developmental during the birth, uh, during the gestation process, or it can be congenital genetic. Uh, but any of those lead to a cataract. The, the sign of that is usually a white pupil or a pupil rather than being black that's gray or white. Um, you know, that's, a, that's a red flag for any parent that sees a child with a white pupil. Uh, it could be a cataract. It also could be a tumor behind the eye, which is very dangerous. Um, you know, there's a neuroblastoma that occurs in the eye that can, can cause blindness and has to be uh, treated very quickly. So a white pupil is a, is a red flag to get your child to an eye doctor literally immediately to intervene and uh, prevent problems. Now, um, and you, you mentioned glaucoma? Yes, glaucoma is a, a problem that tends to occur in adults usually starting at age 40 where the pressure fluid system in the eye uh, start, with age starts to break down and the fluid builds up in the eye and damages the optic nerve. That's our typical glaucoma that adults have. But in kids, if the fluid system doesn't develop correctly, and it's often accompanied with other things like the eye is unusually small or they have a cataract or the eye is otherwise abnormal, uh, the fluids can build up inside the eye and, and kids can have glaucoma. They often have uh, either a very small eye or a very large eye. That's a warning sign of glaucoma. But it's a serious uh, risk of blindness in, in children. So uh, we send those patients, uh, kids that would have glaucoma, to a specialist. It has to be really managed by a pediatric uh, glaucoma specialist dealing with. And they often need surgical interventions to put in surgical drains so the eye doesn't go blind from the glaucoma. But it's a rare but dangerous problem. So uh, when I went and got my eyes tested, the doctor said that I had dry eye and I just need to get these drops in my eyes do you suggest putting drops in your kids' eyes if they say, you know, it's not producing enough moisture? 
Yes, it's unusual for kids to have that. That dry eyes that you have is more normal in adults, and, and it's more it's more common in women than in men. It depends on your environment, but it's unusual for kids to have dry eye. If we see that, it's usually because they're locked onto their digital devices and they're not blinking appropriately. Um, the, the eye drops are, the, you know, certainly the the simple solution to that. We can put uh, rewetting drops in children, but that's that's pretty rare. Right. Other cases, kid, kids can have certain medical problems like uh, juvenile arthritis and other problems that the dry eye is secondary to some type of systemic systemic problem. Mm. And those kids often need prescription eye drops or other ways to, to manage the dry eye. But that's those are usually kids with other medical problems. Now, Dr. Edmonds, as 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 a mother, you go to all these birthday parties and, you know, they give out gifts or, you know, goodie bags. A lot of them have sunglasses in it. And I remember reading something a while back about kids and sunglasses, like not all sunglasses are good for kids. Can you talk about well, that? Well, that's correct. Okay. Uh, in, 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 in America, um, usually all sunglasses, because of regulations we have in this country, all sunglasses have UV protections. Because as we talked earlier, it's that UV that's really dangerous in, in damaging eye tissues. So almost all American-made sunglasses uh, ha- are, are a heavy blocker that blocks out UV light. Now, if this goodie bag came from a, a different country, uh, came from the Far East, it could just have dark lenses with no UV protection, and those are the ones you want to be wary of. So over-the-counter giveaway sunglasses, depending on where they came from, could be a, a, a warning sign. Most of the sunglasses that you buy, however, uh, in, in America are, you know, and usually there's a label that says it protects you against UV light. But you do need to be careful for um, some of those throwaway sunglasses are not good enough to be used for, for care, really for anybody, because they, uh, they don't block UV light, and yet they allow the pupil to be larger so more light gets into the eye. So in regards to kids and sports and eye care, um, what tips do you have for, you know, the, the young adults um, that are going out and playing sports? So, so we recommend that kids that are going to be involved in sports have an eye exam more frequently to, again, make sure that they're going to be optimal at their sport. So an a-, a child athlete, we don't just check their vision. We check their depth perception and then color vision, other things that might make a, a difference in their sport. Uh, if they're going to be active in sports, we sometimes recommend there are sport contact lenses that are a little larger that we use, or there are special sport glasses that have r- rubber sides and unbreakable lenses that we use for, we used to use them commonly for football players underneath that helmet. But with contact lenses, as good as they are today, we usually recommend a contact lens for a child that wears glasses and is going to get involved in sports. Their performance will be better. The safety measures are, are higher. Uh, but that we do make special, special uh, um, considerations for athletic uh, or children that are involved in sports to make sure that they have the correct eyewear. We also want to insist on eye protection. So kids that play uh, racquetball, for instance, or some of these games where they could have a, one of those balls hit the eyeball, you know, we like to see safety glasses or some type of, uh, for racquetball in those sports, they're special plastic uh, rims that protect the eye from uh, a racquetball or some of those smaller balls get penetrating through the orbit of the eye and getting and uh, damaging the eye. One of our biggest um, bugaboos that we have is uh, paintball. You know, these kids, oh, young, right. especially young boys, where, you know, Pop wants to take them out for paintball. Uh, paint, we see more lost eyes from paintball, as in my institution, than, than really any other childhood really? problem. Maybe firecrackers, second best, because... You know, they all wear eye protection, but once they get hit in the face with a paintball, they can't see. So they got to take the mask off 
to get to the sideline, and that's when it happens. Almost oh. every time they were wearing safety protection, got hit in the face with a paintball, had to take lift it to see how to get off the course, and boom, the other paintball hits them right in the eye. Oh, my um, Seldom does an eye recover from a paintball injury. It's usually a lost eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, thank goodness we have two, but uh, we, uh, I have sons that we never let them go with the Boy Scouts and play paintball, uh, and we are uh, yeah, anti-paintball parents uh, mm-hmm. and just because we see what happens. So uh, it, it is a, a red flag, and I, I really think it should be avoided, uh, but, you know, boys will be boys, and it's, it's really hard to control these things depending yes. on where you live. Right, 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 exactly. So uh, just n- not to get dark or anything, but when you have to take an eye out, do you literally take it out or do you put something in? Yep. Depends on the nature of the injury. Many times we can, you know, the vision is lost because the retina has been damaged, but we can preserve the globe and then we use that. And we use some cosmetic contact lenses to cover up a, a white front of the eye to give it, uh, make it look better. But more often than not, they, they remove the eyeball and they, and they sew a Teflon ball to the eye muscles and so that the ball moves with the muscles. And then there's a prosthetic uh, implant that looks like a big contact lens mm-hmm. that matches up with the other eye uh, and makes the child look uh, or the adult look cosmetically uh, appropriate. Amazing how good that technology is. Yeah. is sometimes uh, in the eye doctor, you got to look twice to see which is the artificial eye and which is the one you're going to test, oh. because they can look that they can look that good. There's special artists that make uh, what we call prosthetic or artificial eyes, but they're usually fit over a, um, a Teflon ball that's attached to the muscles, so that eye will move with the other eye. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> we we can do a lot of cool stuff. We like to try to preserve sight, but once that's been lost, then we try to preserve a, a natural look for the child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned a tumor um, in the brain or behind the eye. Uh, last year, my work colleague and friend, he was having vision problems and he went to an optometrist and they're like, oh, yeah, well, you need glasses or um, he goes, my eye is blurry. He didn't understand why. And then he went to an, another um uh, optometrist and then someone else and then someone else was like uh oh and then he had a tumor in his brain which was preventing one of his eyes from seeing it so it started blurring but yep. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so that is a big, you know, we looked for that. Now, I practice at the Wills Eye Hospital in Philadelphia, and we uh, we have the leading cancer surgeon uh, for eye care at our institution. So we see kids and, and, and folks from all over the world. So there's uh, certainly brain tumors that can affect vision, but there are specific eye tumors. And for kids, especially young kids, uh, it's called retinoblastoma. It's a form of a neuroblastoma, which is a very uh, deadly tumor that occurs in the retina. And ultimately, that's the kids with the white pupil. Um, you know, that's a red flag. But sometimes uh, loss of vision through a brain tumor is a lot more subtle. And sometimes it takes several eye doctors to say, wait, this is just not getting better. And we, suddenly the picture starts to emerge of a, of a brain tumor. But good news is a lot of those things today are treatable. That's what our institution specializes. And we can sometimes preserve vision. Uh, other times we're just looking to preserve life. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, tumors around the eye in orbit and in the brain are nothing to with. They need to be treated aggressively and quickly to, to preserve. Right, right. Um, and Dr. Edmonds, so my husband is colorblind. Um, I saw that it's mostly in males. Can you talk about colorblindness? And I mean, yes, I, so I guess you're, you're born with it, right? Yep. 
Yes, you're exactly right. So, so there is an inherited the, a genetic colored blindness, which is the most common form. It, 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 comes, uh, it comes on the uh, Y chromosome, so it's really, uh, frankly, mostly men. Uh, there, there are some rare cases where women have that form of color vision, but it's mostly a, a, a boy thing. Um, and they, um, you know, they're not blind. Uh, they just have trouble with different shades depending on the type of colored blindness. So they can't tell certain shades of color that they don't see. It's not that they see no color, although mm-hmm. there is a problem that they they see no color, but it's uncommon. But usually it's a problem. They can't match up their clothes. Right. Um, there are special lenses now that can help compensate for that. Yes. They're colored lenses that can change that spectrum. Uh, uh, so that's, you know, that's your normal color vision. Uh, in a person who has normal vision who develops color vision as a secondary problem, that's usually a red flag for some other pathology. Um, so, color, so women that develop uh, color blindness or boys that have normal vision, it be, they start to lose color. That usually uh, means that they have either some type of drug to- toxicity and certain drugs can become toxic and form uh, and cause uh, loss of color vision. Uh, so we are, color vision that's acquired or that pops up, we're m- very concerned with the look at the underlying cause. A number of diseases and certain medications can induce that and we want to uh, uh, act accordingly to restore their color vision. And there was this one woman who came on my show where she was saying that she was on this the soap opera. She kept falling, and she didn't know why she kept falling. So she had that disease where um, it starts. She get starts going blind from the outside, and then yes. That's called retinitis pigmentosa. So you lose your vision slowly from the outside and you, st- you don't notice it because it's gradual. Mm-hmm. And so tripping is one of the f- first uh, indicators. So, so, gl- so retinitis pigmentosa, it also occurs, the loss of vision occurs later in life, although it can be diagnosed when, the, when folks are younger. Um, you know, we don't really have a good treatment for retinitis pigmentosa uh, other than, uh, you know, palliative and, and counseling and, and helping the patient uh, with it. But we're looking at, uh, it's a genetic problem. We're looking at ways that we can resolve that with the genetic engineering. The other um, disease that causes, causes loss of peripheral vision is glaucoma. So in a person who doesn't have retinitis pigmentosa that's losing peripheral vision, that's, that's one of the warning signs for glaucoma. Although, unfortunately, it comes late in the disease that should have been diagnosed years earlier. But if someone is uh, stripping more often, we need to look at loss of, uh, of the peripheral vision from retinitis pigmentosa, glaucoma. In some cases, even retinal detachment uh, can occur like in one eye and people not realize they've lost their, their inferior vision from, uh, ret- from uh, a retinal detachment. Certain types of strokes and neurological problems can also cause loss of visual field. So lo- lots of things to test for. We test for visual fields on all our patients to make sure they're normal. And when they seem a little odd, we do specific uh, threshold testing to define the problem. Well, you've provided so much great information. Can you go over what parents or guardians should expect when they come in for an in-person eye visit? Yes. Yeah, so today, uh, you know, at United Healthcare, we have uh, some protocols for that. So with COVID, we, we, you know, eye, doc, eye doctoring is an up, co- up close and personal business because we've got to get, get in there to see things. So we have uh, expect when you go that you probably will be screened for your temperature before entering the building. You'll be asked a series of questions about exposure to COVID. Um, we schedule less patients so that the waiting room is no longer full. We have uh, 
the chairs spaced out so people stay six feet apart, uh, one, one person at a time in the waiting room. Now, we would let a young child, come, a mother or father or guardian come with a young child, but we try to minimize the number of people in, uh, in the waiting or in the exam room. Doctors wear masks. Uh, patients need to wear masks. And all of our instruments have to be sanitized between each patient. So we have a bleach solution that we've got to uh, clean all of the instruments that are going to come in contact with our patients. Um, you know, the other, it, in a modern eye exam, you can expect your pupils to be dilated, and that's sometimes a barrier for little kids who don't like eye drops. And we, we can use a spray, the spray that drops in, which is a little less dramatic than power uh, dropping those drops in. Yes. Uh, and there's also some ointments for really young children. We give the parent an ointment to use at bedtime so that the child comes dilated to the visit so we can examine their eyes. So a wow. number of ways that we can uh, take the strain off of that. But uh, it's, it's a comfortable procedure, quicker today. The testing we do is uh, quicker. We have special cameras that can also minimize touch uh, rather than uh, getting an uh, up-close personal exam of the retina, we can do it photographically with retinal imaging. So a lot of things have changed, uh, but we do recommend people, uh, we talked earlier about the schedule, but uh, getting your eye exams uh, uh, is a very important uh, uh, part of everyday uh, life for people. Do you, you think that we need to get new glasses every year? Well, it depends on your prescription chain. So okay. growing kids often need to change uh, every year. You go through this nice period from about to age 25 to 40 where there's not a whole lot of change in your prescription, and then it's, if you kept your frames in good shape, you may be able to get several years out of a pair. Once you hit 40-something, then we have to worry about the bifocal power, and that's subject to change each year. So between uh, 40 and 60, you can expect your bifocal power at least to change. And then after 60, other age-related uh, changes of the eye. So seniors often come above 60, come once a year. Their prescription changes more often because of cataract development and other issues. Um, so they come, we change their glasses more often. But we don't recommend a change every year unless there's a change in the prescription or the frame is damaged. So glasses, uh, a, a good quality frame can last you several years. And so we don't uh, insist on new glasses every year. Yes. Well, thank you for that. Because I'm like, <laughs> do I have to get new glasses every year? <laughs> you get that notice. Nope. <laughs> Well, you know, glasses are like, you know, that you wear them on your face. And so you, you wouldn't wear the same clothes every day year in and year out. You want a new wardrobe every year. So a lot of people do that to just get a change in their look or yeah. have different glasses for different occasions. Because it is first thing we see when we look at you is your face and your glasses. So, you know, wearing those, uh, you know, glasses that are out of style is not, not, not so fashionable for people <laughs> who are in the public eye. So true. <laughs> be aware of that. That's true. Well, Dr. Edmonds, I really, truly enjoyed our conversation. And if we want to find out more about you and what you do or more about health, eye health, where can we go? So we have a website at United Healthcare. It's www.myuhcvision.com. And so that has a lot of information about vision. We have you know vision insurance programs for employer-based groups or for individuals. Lots of options to make sure that that uh, trip to the eye doctor is painless and uh, comes out of a, some type of a benefit program. So that's where I advise you to go to look. Well, thank you. And again, Dr. Edmonds, Chief Eye Care Officer for United Healthcare given us the tips that help kids reduce blue light exposure amid remote learning during COVID-19. Thank you again for sharing your expertise. Well, thanks for having me. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is 710 AM ESPN. 
You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on ESPN LA 710.